Hello and welcome to your weekly slice of Caged In. I am your host, Petrus Patsilovus, and this is a weekly podcast where I travel through the career of Nicolas Cage. I'm often joined by a guest and we talk about how he has impacted their life in some weird and wonderful ways. This week I'll be talking to Joe Mel of the fantastic those movie guys podcast and with a heavy heart i hate to say those guys are actually drawing to a close so make sure you go through their back catalog and listen to as much as you can and listen to their final farewell over the coming weeks i won't chat too much at the beginning i'll join you back at the end so very much enjoy this episode Nicholas Cage's Joe strikes up a friendship with Gary, a kid from a troubled home life. Shown that lives in small-town Texas folk, people with shady pasts and uncertain futures, David Gordon Green's 2013 Joe. Speaking of Joes, I'm joined to talk about this movie and this slice of Americana with my own slice of Americana. Those movie guys, co-host Joe Mel. How are you doing, Jay? Good, man. I'm good, Petros. It is so good to have you back, sir. It is so good to have you back. Well, I'm glad to be back. It's been a long time, and I just I felt there was an urgent need in me to finish this journey, and it's going to take me to some weird and wonderful places, and I'm happy to go to them. And I'm excited about today. I'm excited because this is a... I've seen some bizarre Nicolas Cage shit. I mean, I really have. Like, if I see his name, most times I'll just click on it just to see what kind of uh, shit show that I'm going to get into. Well, what are we going to get into? But every once in a while, and this is a movie that I had seen the, the poster for. I had seen it advertised, but I'd never seen the movie Joe. And I'm so fucking thrilled that I did. And that I'm able to sit here and talk about it with you because this is, this is man, this is good Nick Cage. Well, this is a really interesting like spot in his career because if you look at like the films like either side of it, like just that year alone, two thousand and thirteen, we have the Crudes and Frozen Ground. So like, um, the Crudes, fantastic animation. It's a film, yeah. It's a, like, and a great like Nick Cage is fantastic in that. Like, really shines in it. Gets to do everything he can with his voice and. Frozen Ground, again, it's him and John Cusack back together. My old arch nemesis, John Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then after this, he did Rage and then yeah. like Left Behind. So like a lot of this time is very up and down for Cage. But this one really shines out as like a... It's a gem. It's a after, real... after watching this, I, this for me is, is now, I mean, I, I'm fresh off it. I just watched it today. But I would put it in probably my top three favorite Nick Cage performances. Like, it is fucking solid all the way through. Well, it's really interesting you say that because, like, despite Nick Cage having, like, financial issues around this time and, like, that's why he takes a lot of these, like, straight-to-VOD and straight-to-DVD movies, he turned down two big-budget movies to star in this. He turned down The Expendables 3 and a film called The Killing Season to be in okay. this movie so like this shows just what like a kind of passion project it was yeah for him as well as david gordon green and like um before we get into talking about the film and like everything like that like yeah like i need to ask you a couple of questions i probably never asked you before but now Let's i've come back and i'm a lot more professional uh first of all joe are you a nick cage fan i am 100 100 percent a nick cage fan have been for a long time uh, since I was a kid. I mean, I've really enjoyed him, but now I'm a fan in a different way. Almost you, you approach it like, Hey, what kind of weird shit am I going to get into? Like, I remember seeing the trailer for Mandy and I was like, Holy fuck. Like, this is what I want right here. And I watched Mandy and I was all about it. And then you'll see shit like USS Indianapolis. And I'm like, Holy fuck. Like, what are we doing here, buddy? This is uh, this is going to be a different kind of a thing. But what I, I like about Nick Cage and, and even more, I would say, now than, than before is that the dude is just out there. Like you said, he's just he's just doing it, just just making movies. And you never know when you're going to get full on crazy Nick Cage. And it's almost a game. Like, is it going to come? Is he going to do it? Is he going to go fucking off the wall bonkers? 
But either way, yes, big fan. And my next question is, what was the first Nick Cage movie you remember seeing? Do you is it is it stuck in your brain? What was the first one like that hooked you? I, I don't know if it was the first one, but it's the one I remember watching over and over and over again. Me and my little brother would watch it all the time, and it was Face Off. We used to, when we were kids, we watched Face Off. We had a VHS tape, and we would just nonstop put Face Off in. And that was my first real introduction to Nick Cage. It's really interesting, that film, because really he gets to shine in the first 10 minutes of that movie when he's cast the Troy. Because yeah. the rest of the movie he's playing Sean Archer, so like, but like everybody just remembers like him really getting to shine as that yeah. like rage cage and going like full balls to the wall. It's those first ten minutes going nuts, going yeah. nuts, man. He's going crazy. And then I had a girlfriend in in high school who her favorite movie was Peggy Sue Got Married, so we'd watch that. We'd watch that all the time. And that's a real goofy Nick Cage. Like oh, he's kind of kind of silly. You know what was he? He was a, did he play an instrument? Was he was he in the band? He was awesome. like in an a cappella group. That's uh, what it was. Yeah. With Jim Carrey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's um you know Peggy Sue got married is fine, but Face Off is always going to be the one that, and I'll still go back and watch it. I like Face Off. Still a solid flick. It's top five Nick Cage and it's top five John Woo. So like, yeah. what, what what more could you want? And oh yeah, it's definitely top five Travolta as well. I don't know. Have you seen that? Uh, the fanatic. <laughs> you got to watch that, man. It's, it's fucking weird, but I couldn't help but like it, but yeah, it was, but you know, both of them, what was uh face off like 95, 96, somewhere right in there. I think it was like 97 was face off. 97. Okay. Yeah. It was off of like a real, like good streak of movies. So we kind of had like a, maybe even like a four, four, four film run in like leaving las vegas the rock con air face off it's like he was really beating people into submission with that kind of like yeah showing the range do you know what i mean he's like he can show that i can win a fucking oscar with leaving las vegas i can play like the nerdy like scientist scientist guy. badass michael bay explosions everywhere the rock is good too though yeah and then i can then i can play just like the dumb action hero in like his cameron poe performance in con air and and then he 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 showed like he can play the villain which is something that we don't see a lot of cage doing it's like Mm -hmm. he plays the perfect villain in face off um so it leads me to my final question before we dissect this movie is what is your favorite nick cage movie Oh, that's so tough. That's so tough. Cause this one is, is high up on my list. I think after I sit on this for a little bit and the beauty of this was, is they had it on iTunes. You could either rent it for $4 or buy it for $4. So I was like, well, why the fuck am I going to rent it? So I ended up buying it really happy that I did. Cause I think I'm going to go back many times, but uh, one of my favorites, oh, there's so many. One, I really like Mandy, but I also really just love him and kick ass. He's just, he's such a different anti-superhero, but hero, Nick Cage. And just his relationship with Chloe Grace Moretz is just perfect. Like those two, anytime they're on screen together, because he's still her dad and he's like, oh, don't forget about the grenades over there. You know, saying silly shit that nobody should ever say. Um, But I think that's my most, where I go back to, and anytime I watch Kick-Ass, I'm like, that's so exciting. But this one, this one might be up there. As far as just looking at the man's ability to act, he just did it. Every scene in this movie, he is 100% invested, not invested in being Nick Cage, but invested in conveying this character that, you know, is not the nicest, like, not somebody you would expect to be a role model, but still somehow has a good heart. He, he brings so much to this character that, this might, I don't know. I don't know. I think I got to sit on it. Like I said, I'm fresh off, but this is going to be up there. It's well, going to yeah, be real high. This was a real, like, refreshing take on, like, yeah, a film for me because it's just, like, it, it's, it's a side of Cage that, like, I don't think I've ever really seen before because it's so measured and controlled and, like, really, like, I don't, he just plays it really cool. Like right. no, he, he doesn't he doesn't rely on the kind of 
archetypal Nick Cage performance that everybody's used to. Like, if you, it's almost like he takes that that we're so used to and somehow keeps it just under the surface where you could see it could happen at any minute. Like, it could, but it never really gets to that place, say, for one or two moments throughout the entirety of the movie. But yeah, he he tried with the, I hate to say he didn't try with some of the other ones, but you see some Nick Cage performances and you're like, this motherfucker's just showing up and phoning it in. That's and that's okay. If you need to pay the bills, pay the bills. But with this one, he he's putting on a a class in acting, and I think it's a great demonstration as to why he deserves to be on the screen. He he has the talent. He has the talent to be there, and this is a shining example. Definitely. And as, as talking of like people doing something out of the norm, like this film is directed by David Gordon Green, who's obviously made his name for kind of like big comedies. So like the show, like he directed Pineapple a lot. Express. Yeah, yeah. Pineapple yeah. Express, like had a big hand in Eastbound and Down, The Righteous Gemstones, but then kind of had this like unknowing career to a lot of people in these like, Little indie budget, movies. yeah, indie movies. Yeah. So, like the same year as this, we had Prince Avalanche, and we had like his early stuff. We had like Snow Angels, and then like I don't think I've seen that one. I don't think I've seen Snow Angels. But like, he seems to be like a really great, versatile director. In that, like, in his later career, has like ventured into horror with like a fucking rein- that- reinvented Halloween. In the in the best way possible. I mean that that man will always have my praises for what he what he did with the Halloween source material because the guy's got it, and I'm so glad that they brought him on. Like, hey, do the next two, do this whole trilogy. We want you to do all of it. And this fuck coronavirus better not push that movie back, or I'm gonna be real upset. I'm gonna be real upset. Well, he's very much becoming like a modern day Rob Reiner in that, like, he is kind of spreading out, like doing a bit of everything like Rob Reiner to me is always like he has mastered like loads of different genres whether it be like misery like he just kind of nailed the horror genre comedy with spinal tap like right the rom-com with when Harry met Sally even like the family adventure with like the princess bride like yeah sorry like he's just he's just got it man and and it's interesting Josh and I were talking about this maybe a week or two ago because uh, we were talking about American Werewolf in London, and, you know, John Landis, he's another one, and I feel the people who have their roots in comedy, for one reason or another, I don't know, something to do with their psyche, they understand comedy a certain way, but they seem to more easily venture off into different genres and still be successful. It's something about if you can get comedy, it seems like you can get the other ones relatively easier than somebody who's just a horror director or just a drama director. You know, there are those guys like fucking Wes Anderson's of the world. But for the most part, these guys who, you know, did kind of look at Bob Clark. I mean, fuck Black Christmas. And then he does a Christmas story. Like the guy just had this uncanny ability to tell Christmas stories. Uh, Sam Raimi, same thing. You know, the guy, huge Three Stooges fan, but huge horror guy. So you never really know which way they're going to go. But these, these comedy guys seem to just, they, I don't know. They just seem to get it. Well, there's always that fine line between comedy and horror and that like, sure, sure. The, the, the scare is the same as the laugh. Like it's all about the timing and like the punchline. And that's a good point. The punchline is either a big scare or the punchline is a ha ha funny. Let's all have a laugh. Um, right. But this film is one that is, is not full of laughs. Um, Ooh. Joe is this slice of life and like I I love the way you kind of opened up to this world and nothing's nothing's explained to you nothing's handed to you on a platter it's just kind of you're dropped in to Ty Sheridan's character Gary's life you're dropped into Nick Cage's character Joe's life and it's just like this is what's happening and it's kind of all low level like Texan outback life of these kind of like somewhat right. somewhat hillbillies like some people would call them but like I it, guess it, just it, the lower classes and it remind it reminded me so much when I was done watching this it reminded me of stuff like Winter's Bone uh, Out of the Furnace I don't know if you ever saw Out of the Furnace with Christian Bale and uh, yeah. Casey Affleck or Blue Ruin is just a fucking masterpiece yeah. of the movie this reminded me of all of those. In, in that it really brings you down to a ground level where 
you don't often spend this much time. And what it made me think was, you know, you for a long time in the United States, you had these these cities that were just they thrived and their lifeblood were these huge plants and mills and things like that. And as soon as those shut down, you end up in a situation like this. You end up somewhere where a lot of people are just scraping to get by. They're doing whatever they can do to get by. Nobody, especially in this movie, I don't think we saw any character that had what most people would consider a decent living. They, they were all just very, I mean, Nicolas Cage kind of, but for the most part, Joe's, you know, a drunk who goes and hangs out at whorehouses. His only friend is his dog. If you were to say, hey, give me your ideal, like if you could just have a decent life, what would that look like? I don't think most people would say, well, it would look like Joe. It would look like that. I, and nobody in this movie, especially now. And can we take a minute, too, to say how fucking amazing Ty Sheridan was in this thing? Oh, like, absolutely. Like, fantastic. Like, that opening scene of him, like, interacting oh. with his father, Wade, is just, like, you kind of, it sets the tone for what you're about to see. Yeah. It's just this kind of exchange with his dad end up hitting him. And then it's just like, whoa. Like, Slaps the fuck out of him right yeah. on them railroad tracks. After he's telling him, he's like, you're a piece of shit, fucking drunk. But what Ty Sheridan did so good throughout this is there's those couple of moments where you see him trying to have a genuine relationship with his dad. And you just, you're heartbroken for this kid. Because he, he really is trying, you know. When his dad's on the ground and he's like, oh, got your liquor bottle, got your liquor bottle. And he keeps, you know, kind of toying with him a little bit. And his dad can't even get up. I will say that, dude, though. He could pop lock like a motherfucker. He was really <laughs> going there. <laughs> he was going for a second. Well, one of the things that this film like really deals with and it's something that's like quite close to like my heart is that kind of when you get to a certain age like if you have a parent like a parental figure especially a father who kind of is absent or for whatever reason whether that's he's a drunk or an addict in any way that you seek role models like where you yeah. can and this is like the the kind of crux of this movie's it's this backbone. It is it is this kid who has this terrible home life. Unexplained a lot of it. Like we kind of get in glances, like I'm not sure about you, but I kind of got the impression that there was abuse going on to the sister who just yeah. didn't speak from the father. And this kid who's got like the loyalty to his family, but he's not getting the kind of paternal love, like the fraternal love from his dad that he needs or his mom i mean yeah. she's she's kind of uh a zombie in so many ways you know she's just kind of floating through life just because the house they lived in they even say like when when joe goes over to his house at one point he's like you know this place is condemned right just because you rip the the boards off the windows doesn't make it your house and i mean this kid is in a bad way and he's trying so hard and then you've got joe on the other side of that coin who i think throughout so much of this for joe it's a redemption story you know, he's trying to to prove not only maybe to himself, but also to the world, like, hey, I'm there's still good in me. There's still a little bit of good in me somewhere. And he tries to share that, you know, with the kid throughout the whole thing. He tries his best to share it with him. Well, yeah, because Gary comes to him and asks him for a job. And like those early scenes of the uh, guys working. So Joe runs a team of guys who essentially go out and kill kill trees uh yeah like people need to to plant new trees and these ones can't be chopped down because they're still living so they kind of have this like ragtag team but those scenes are beautiful that like oh, I'm, I'm not sure if they're like improvised but like that cast of characters it it sums up that feeling you get if you've ever like kind of been a young kid and kind of like taken in by like that a group of yeah, yeah that, to become to become a part of something and you're right though those scenes the the scene that it was probably only maybe five ten minutes into this thing but the scene that I, I knew i was in for something special was the scene in the store the little general store that they're in yes. and everybody's like joe's like hey you guys want some coffee and they all have this respect for joe like Joe, even though he's done some bad shit in his past, they still all have this certain level of respect for him. But like you said, you get all these different characters in there, you know, making jokes with the guy behind the counter. You can feel the camaraderie. It comes through the screen to you. Like 
at least they're together in a low place. Sure, they might be in a low place, but at least they're together there. Like one of the things I loved about this film is we get introduced to like a whole host of characters, but there's there doesn't need to be a backstory. Like there's a moment Joe goes to someone's house to like, um, well, it's not really explained. He just goes around to see them, see if they need anything. He, yeah. Next thing you know, he's like cigarette in mouth. He's like carving taking, a deer. Yeah, taking steaks out of a deer, showing like showing the guy like this is how it needs to be cut, and it's like. We've got this Hispanic guy with this kind of like old older woman who's like, yeah, I just want some like cigarettes from the store and yeah. some freezer bags. And it's like we don't need an explanation why this Hispanic guy's here. It's just like these are these people feel lived in. This town feels lived in. Like yeah. this movie feels like we have just been like a transported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into like almost like a documentary of like these people of like real people and that's like you mentioned about cage like holding back the thing i got from cage in this movie is that like he felt the most real i've ever seen him that's a like, good way to put it he just felt like a guy he just felt like a guy who lived in a town like his interaction with the store clerk in the like convenience store and he's talking about like oh is that world war one is that world war two and he's like kind of He's going a bit wacky in like moments in there. He's like kind of like joking with him, but he's just like, yeah. He seems like an ordinary guy who has his quirks and eccentricities, but like it's not like the amplified cage way. It's just like he's just a regular guy who's who is just everyone's a bit weird at some point. Everyone makes <laughs> jokes and kind of does does silly voices, but like. I don't know. It's real refreshing. It's like a real breath of fresh air for like to see Nick Cage in a in a movie like this. And through throughout the entirety of the thing, he's exactly what you just said. Like I love that scene with him and the store clerk, and all. That's how he ended up at the other guy's house because he's like, "Hey, where are you getting this money?" And he said, "Oh, I was playing over with so and so, taking all yeah. these people's money." And he says, "Oh, well, maybe I'll see if I can get in on a game at some point." And you're right. He goes over there and ends up cutting the stakes up. And throughout, though, this whole thing, we have this relationship of Gary and his dad, Wade, or was it G-Dog? Did they all call him G-Dog? Um, and well, yeah, yeah, he has that, like, crazy jacket. That <laughs> jacket that he's wearing all the time. And that guy, I was just looking up uh, his name, and what's crazy is this Gary Poulter. It was, this was really the only thing he ever did. He didn't do anything else. I mean, he did, looking at his filmography, he has two credits. He was a background extra in a TV series, and then he played in that. He was the background extra in 1987. And then this is all he did was play Wade and Joe. And I don't know, maybe outside of, you know, Nick Cage played an amazing drunk in leaving Las Vegas. Like, he, he did such a good job with that. But this guy who plays Wade, holy shit. Like, I was so just enthralled when he was on the screen not like i he just played that drunk character better than i maybe i've ever seen somebody play a drunk because normally you'll see a drunk on screen you know for one scene here a scene there but to see this guy play that drunk character all the way through and go through all those stages of like the alcoholism like oh be a little bit loving here and then just snap you know turn on a dime and beat the shit out of his kid and and there's one scene in particular with him, him and that um, that other kind of homeless guy, that drifter down by the river. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. Fuck me, man. Fuck me, man. There's, and you, you know, you and I have talked. I'm a huge fan of horror movies. Huge fan. It's rare. There's only one thing I can't really take in movies that's hard for me, and that's any kind of rape. Rape always just, I don't know. I can't deal with it. Um, there was one movie I was trying to talk to Phil about not long ago. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, was it Killer Joe? No. It was the one with Casey Affleck where he plays the the crazy sheriff. Yeah, it's um the killer inside me. The killer inside me. The kill when he's punching Jessica Elba in the face was one of the toughest things I've ever had to watch. This what happened in this movie is a real close second because it is not glamorized whatsoever. You know, there's nothing we see like I just watched that Chris Hemsworth thing, which I really liked. Like it was badass, you know, him on Netflix doing all kinds of military shit. But usually violence in movies is stylized in some way you know you look at your boy guy Ritchie. he does it the best like yeah. he does it the absolute best he's a, he's an amazing talent at it and i'm not trying to say that's a, a bad way to do it but every once in a while you get hit in the face with something that is so raw 
it's almost tough to stomach and watching that scene because it wasn't even just when he bludgeons the dude that was bad enough but the way he approaches him he's like oh hey you you my friend yeah what, what you got there you got a bottle and then you see him slowly start digging that thing out of the ground you know it's coming and then when the violence happens though there's no big sound there's no big flash of light nothing you just watch this man get his head caved in on the side for 20 bucks in a bottle of booze it's uh it's brutal brutal well, like I think it is the motivation in this that, like, in that moment that makes it so brutal. Is that, like, sure. it's not about, like, it's not a big, like, revenge or anything like that. It's not, it's not Ryan Gosling stamping that guy's head out in the elevator in drive. It's yeah. not that. It's not, it's not like the, the fire extinguisher in Gaspar Noe's Irreversible, like, something. Right. It's like a big statement piece in the movie. It's, it's low key. It's just like it is just a thing, and it is just for booze, and it like it makes it even more real and like just gut wrenchingly heartbreaking because for a bottle like, of booze, man. Yeah, and it's like so. Like one of the other characters we get in this, and it like I love the fact that this guy is like not explained is Willie. So he like out of nowhere, Cage walks out of the convenience store and is yeah. shot. And it's like no, no, he got shot walking out of where he was cutting the steaks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, um, the dude, just yeah, pulls up out of nowhere, and he's like, "Hey, Joe," and fucking, we see Nick Cage just get blasted right in the shoulder. It's like shit, man. But then when and we re- when we realize why that is, like why that happened, it's not like this big convoluted thing. It's just that Joe slapped him about in a bar. It's not like this, like. In most movies, he didn't kill his kid or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no like big thing. It is just this like kind of petty. Everything about this is kind of petty and low level. It's like it is. It's how townspeople like. I mean, it's like this kind. It's like yeah. It like this is described on on Wikipedia as a a crime drama. And like I like I don't know if that is really what it is because like it when I think of a crime drama I think of like a crime family. Do you know what I mean? I think of that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Whereas this is just like it is a slight of life. And it's like that this just happens to be the the, the yeah, it's it's not the best tasting slice of pie. But no. it, it, it is a slice of pie, yeah. It's like But it is a slice of pie you will remember. For days to come after you're done with this thing. I don't think this is something that that leaves you. And you're you're right. Their relationship, you know, Willie, in, in the same way as everybody else, was trying to find, I feel, some sense of justice or a, a means to justify his existence in a way. Like, he needed something. And for him, that was to take everything back out on Joe. And I love, though, that Joe doesn't go to the hospital, doesn't go to nothing, just starts fucking pulling, pulling buckshot out of his shoulder and he even tells me he's like oh i meant to shoot over your over your shoulder but then we see how weak willie truly is when he meets up with gary on that bridge and gary's like hey will you give me my old man and and that's another heartbreaking moment you know his dad is over passed out drunk somewhere yeah he's like hey well where's my dad oh he's back down there a little bit and he just beats the shit out of him like just starts swinging on this dude gary's taking out all his frustration for his old man on this guy willie and that sets some other plot things uh, into motion that happened a little bit later on. But yeah, Nicholas Cage getting shot was a, uh, that was pretty solid. And then their fight at the bar, like when he finds him and you see, you see Joe is like, man, I don't want to deal with this shit. Like, I just want to yeah. sit here and have my beer and that's it. I, I really don't want to deal with you doing this and just fucking bings his head right off the thing. Bing. Yeah, holds the the broken bottle. He's got it like motherfucker. Do I want to just stab you right in the face? That was about as close I feel as we got to Cage. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that that moment really reminded me of like a scene very early on in Logan Lucky when um, Channing Tatum's character is like I think it's uh, Seth MacFarlane kind of comes in as this big shot like uh, NASCAR. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, dickhead, and like he just like snaps it. I think it's that that setting of like the out there America dive bar like in the middle of nowhere and just somebody who's right. short on their tether and it's just like 
I've had enough of this shit. And it's just this thing, like, Joe is one of those people. And, like, one of the films that this really reminded me of is something that came out last year. And I think it's the the dynamic between Joe and Gary is Peanut Butter Falcon. It kind of... Oh, yeah. It, ha- it has that it has that feeling to it that that real heart to it of this i don't know i think it's something that really hits me is that kind of that relationship that kind of like they shouldn't really like be like ju- you shouldn't but they are yeah they they like like it's there's there's no there's no real justification like gary just comes to him being like i want some work it's like you know, and he's like he takes a shine to it and like one of like the really beautiful moments in this film is there's a sequence where they're just hanging out and uh joe's showing him how to do a cool guy face and, right like, he's showing it it's it, it like for for you guys listening at home it's this kind of like clint eastwood like looking looking gnarled and upset but you got a smile through it that's the way he says right. it and, like you kind of get ty sheridan do like doing the face and he's showing him like you really want to get the girls like flicking open a zip. Flick your lighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. you get the hookers to come running. You flick that open, you know they they know you got money. Uh, that there was so much heart in that whole sequence when Joe and Gary are looking for the dog. When they're looking for the dog together, he lets him drive the truck. He's like, "Hey, can I can I buy one of them beers from you?" And he's like, "No, that's not what friends do. You can't buy one from me, but I'll give you a beer." And we only get a little tiny hint of Joe being so estranged from his own family because the the sheriff, when he's talking to him at that scene in Joe's kitchen, he's like, hey, you know, you got a new grandchild. And he's like, well, I do now. So we do know that Joe is a failed father. We assume that Joe is a failed father. Yeah. And this is sort of his chance to try and make it right, to do something right in the world with somebody. And that whole scene was so good them in the truck like talking to that old lady on her bike or that woman on her bike and he's like you want some of this beer she's like you drive safe out there now um and you're right it's just that small town like really small town america they, what, they just captured it one of the things that like this film is never far from is just like a complete switch so we have this scene of gary and joe like having a good time but then it's followed by this scene of joe picking up wade and like it, that is like, yeah, it, it, was comes, good. it comes at you, and it's good. It's it's Joe standing up for Gary. It's him saying like, "Don't you fucking take this kid's money!" Like he grabs him up in the car, and it's like yeah. that, that's the thing. It's like it's that real like reserve cage, but like you see that rage is under there, and it's like he's harnessing that thing that he knows he's got, like, and it's. That was such a good that was such a good scene. And it as good as Nick Cage was in that, Wade, yeah, the, the way he goes to get out of the truck, like you see, he is a completely broken man. He is like it doesn't even really phase him. Like, you know, Joe gets in his face, he's like, All right, I'm just gonna set it to you straight. He's like, fucking, and he gets, you know, kind of loud, and you don't take this kid's fucking money and get the fuck out of my truck. And Wade just kind of gives him these like half-ass dirty looks as he's getting out. Like, hey, fuck you, man. Don't do you tell me how to live my life. And it just is another demonstration of how broken Wade is as a as a character and as a human being. It's just, it's ah, it's it's gut-wrenching. It is gut-wrenching to watch this. So here's a clip of Nick Cage talking about his character of Joe. Um, the most challenging moment, I guess, and I did it to myself, was the venomous uh, cottonmouth snake. Uh, I decided that I really wanted to handle it, oddly enough, because I thought it would relax me. And it did, oddly enough, again. But uh, it was one of those things where I had a, you know, promised David Gordon Green that I would not get bit and die two weeks into the movie. And I promised him, and he said, pretty please. And I said, I promise. And thankfully, I didn't get bit. And thankfully, it didn't spit poison in Ty Sheridan's face either, but those fangs are big in the movie when you see it. You'll, you're pretty scary. Hi. Hi. A year of you in Australia. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, on the relationship between Joe and Gary, I mean, it's a sort of mentor slash yeah. deal. How did that mirror working with Ty? How did it what? How did it, how did it mirror working with Ty on this project? Well, the, 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 the thing is, 
specifically different kinds of father-son relationships. In this movie, you see the blood relationship with Gary Poulter playing his blood-related father, but that it's an abusive relationship. Sometimes there's unfortunate things that happen in families where a father or an older person doesn't want to be surpassed, or they feel that the potential of the younger person will you know, augment their own inabilities and they get abusive. But then you find people in life that are like teachers or coaches who genuinely care and want to see the boys succeed. And that's where Joe comes in. So it's, that's the kind of father-son relationship that I have with him. And I thought it played out really well. Straight from the horse's mouth. So yeah, that, that clip really reminds me, especially like him talking on the relationship between Gary and Joe is, um, there's a book I've, uh, read called how to raise boys in the uh, 21st century by steve biddup and he he talks about when like in the first four years say it's it, it's very much a a boy needs his mother in the next four years i'm using four as a thing about like there there are stages and it get like when you get to teens it's when you look for parental figures outside of the family and in a lot of like ancient cultures that used to be the shaman they used to like like people used to be taken out by the shaman and kind of like we are going to show you how to be a man and this is like this mirrors that in that like gary has got to the point and like his his family life his father it it doesn't it doesn't cut him not just because of the like the abuse but like he's out he's outgrown his family and as nick cage said himself like you can see with wade there is just this this fear that his son is gonna outshine him and outgrow him and just right move past him and it's it it's portrayed so so well like ev ev everyone in this movie like a, a lot of the characters even the character the character of willie was another another actor i looked up and very minimal like credits like credits in big stuff like he's in the dark knight rises but like a, a bit part player like maybe not even a like jimmy you know I maybe a line here or, or there. yeah but, yeah was he the guy who was trying to blackmail batman was that him who is like, and then uh, Morgan Freeman comes in and he's like, so you're telling me that you think that one of the richest people in the world is secretly running around as a vigilante with all this tech and you're going to try and blackmail him? Like, good luck with that. Was that him? I, feel like that Possibly, might, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But that's a really good point. Um, I didn't think about, you know, that aspect of it, of, Gary eventually outshining Wade and it, you know, making Wade feel even worse than he already did, especially when he saw him getting the money. And he's like, hey, you know, give me your money. Or when when Joe first sees, that was a tragic scene too, when Joe first sees after he pays him and Wade slaps the shit out of Gary and just takes his money and then looks at Joe and he's like, what the fuck are you looking at? Yeah. After they had been out there working together. And then he finally tells Gary, like, you, I don't, don't come back. Like, there's no reason for you to come back. Like, the culmination of this film, kind of, like, it gets it gets real tense towards the end. So we have this, we have this plot where Wade and Willie, like, team up together. Like, ah, fuck. That was bad. And take, take um, Gary's sister. And Joe just, again... This could be an opportunity for Cage to fly off the handle and give us that yeah. that that raging Cage, but like he does it so well, like that that scene when he confronts Willie and his like goon is like it, and it's one of like it's a great shootout as well, like yeah, like considering like how like low low key all of this is. It's just like that as well. It's like it could have been a really brash big moment, but it's not. It's it's it, it's in keeping and in tone with the movie. And like and that scene, man, when he when you realize that Wade is doing this for thirty dollars, 
$30 is all that Willie had to pay him to get him to go in on this thing. And I don't know if it was all just a setup, what was really happening in the back of that truck. But here at Willie is he's like, it doesn't matter. She's going to be this way anyway in, you know, five years or something like that. And this is a child, to be fair. This is a yeah. fucking child. And you're led to believe that these guys are, you know, doing something to this child, these two grown men in the back of this truck. But it was just the way that Wade is sitting there smoking his cigarette with his windows up and everything, just rolls it down. He's like 30 bucks. And that's it. And that's all it takes for him to put his own kid at risk like that. And to know that his other kid is probably going to show up like the man is, he's not a father. He's barely even a human being. And then you get cage who you're right. Stays so calm and collected. He's talking to Gary and he says, Hey, if something goes wrong, do ABC, go get this guy, have him call this guy, get everybody out here. And, and I liked the actual death of Willie. Cause again, it was very anticlimactic. He's just like, Hey man, Hey man. And, and cage doesn't do anything. He just points and shoots. Just done. Well, there's, One a, gr- there's a great callback with Willie because when he's trying to intimidate Gary, like he's this kind of gnarled looking guy with scars on his face and he's like hanging on to like past glories and that that aren't even glories themselves. Like he, he has this thing where he holds on to the fact that, oh, I went for a windscreen, man. I went for a windscreen and I, at 4 a.m. in the morning. And he's, yeah. he, he says it to Gary, and like Gary's just like, well, fuck you, beats the shit out of him. And then he brings that back just before, like, as, as Joe's got the gun pointed at him, he's like, you, you think I'm scared? I, I, I went through a windshield. And, like, yeah. halfway through the windshield, he gets, like, the bullet to the face, and it's like, fuck, like. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was, it was a great finale to this thing because, for two reasons. One, I think in some sort of way, Joe got his redemption. He had passed along something, you know, and I think he died knowing that he at least did one good thing in his life for a life that for all intents and purposes, he was constantly trying to correct. We get the story about him beating up the cops like they had found him behind the grocery store or something like that. We do get what he did to go to jail for those two and a half years or whatever it was. But in a way, Joe gets his redemption at the end of this thing. But then we get the bigger redemption story and we see two things. We see Ty Sheridan still being, you know, a hard worker trying to make his way up in a world that's been super difficult, but I love it. And he's like, Oh, you worked for Joe. You'll be all right. Joe is a good man. Like, even though Joe didn't see it all the time, he was still helping people. He was like a, a kind of like a, a drunk Robin hood in a way. Yeah. Like he was always just going around and helping people out wherever he could. And the people that were able to get into Joe's good graces, even you remember back at the beginning when the, one of the workers is telling him, like, you, you look Joe in the eye. Like, that's what you do. He wants you to look him in the eye. He's giving, like, the rules of Joe. Yeah. But once you're in, you're in. Like, Joe's going to give you the shirt off his back. He's, you know, that girl comes to his house. Like, oh, my, my mom brought my stepdad back. He promised he wouldn't be touching me anymore, but it happened. He's like, all right, get the fuck in here and sleep on the couch, whatever. Um, so he, he, in so many ways, Joe's is a good guy, but in so many ways he's not, but I like that you feel he got redeemed. He left the earth in a, uh, he left the earth in a better place. Like he, by helping Gary out the way he did, Gary's probably going to prosper into a better person. And that's because of Joe, Joe taught him so much. And then of course, seeing Ty Sheridan, you know, still making his way up in the world was just a beautiful bow. And then it's just credits roll. You just, you know, you get the credits right there. Well, it's a beautiful thing in that, like, we're led to believe that he's now planting trees in that same Oh, that's true. That's that, true, yeah. That, that Joe and his guys were, like, killing and, like, getting rid of. So it is, we get this kind of beautiful ending of, like, rebirth and, like, regeneration of, like, the kind of sins of our past have been, like, settled. Like, that that kind of chapter, that, that, that that moment like because he kills he kills wade as well right so yeah like, well like, no wade jumped remember wade turned yeah. around and jumped off onto his own neck yeah so yeah so so gary's got this kind of fresh start like he is like those trees he has that time now to grow and like this film like again like you explaining it then all i could think about is 
it's it, it runs a parallel with and it would make a fantastic double bill with logan it's kind yeah. of like it, it, it plays upon the same things of like somebody finding a kinship in like that that younger person who who has similarities in them or like they see something in them like obviously yeah logan it is that she yeah. has the the biomphium claws as well but in this like joe sees someone who's struggling and like takes him on and redeems himself but at the same time is the savior for gary because yeah. without without joe's intervention onto his life it would have just been like a perpetual cycle of abuse and, yeah. and you never know where Gary would have ended up without Joe. Even what was that Matthew McConaughey mud mud? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of a little bit of that there as well, but it's, it's just such a, it's a story that I feel anyone can attach themselves onto. And it's almost like this, this mangled beauty. It's, it's like seeing a city wrought with destruction and somehow a flower ends up coming up through a cracked sidewalk. Yes, like there's yeah. this, there's this hope, even in all of this despair, destruction, um, just loss of the value of life, there's still this ray of hope throughout this thing. And it's spun. Just it's it's this is a fucking great movie. It yeah. really is a fantastic movie. We find it in a lot of these kind of um almost forgotten American films. Do you know what I mean? like forgotten America uh, yeah. as a genre? whether it be, as you mentioned, like Blue Ruin or even A Place Beyond the Pines, that kind of people on the oh, yeah. of society. And, like, that is another film that deals a lot with, like, the sins of our fathers. And, like, this is something that is, like, prevalent with this. And, like, Gary gets the opportunity to, like, the sins of his father are literally scratched off because of this. Yeah, to wash his hands of everything. Yeah, Man. and it's it's... It's fantastic. Like I, I, I feel this whole episode, and I'm glad it is this way that we've just kind of gushed about this film, uh, how like fantastic it is, and this is like this is up there as one of the best. Like as somebody who has like ventured on this journey of watching every Nick Cage movie, <laughs> right? This is up there as like one of the best, and. A real shame that this didn't get any awards, at least nominations, because it's it's all there. Everything you want in an awards type movie, the stuff that people normally look at, it's all right there. And we kind of touched on a little bit at the beginning, and I don't know if we did him enough justice, but Ty Sheridan, without him, this movie would not have been what it was. He plays that role, which I got to imagine was really difficult. I mean, he's a kid. He's a kid, and you're like, hey, you got to play this. You've been fucking abused. You've been pretty much homeless. Because we see them digging in the trash, looking for something to eat. you know. And for him to take on all that weight and be able to deliver the way that he does is just phenomenal. And Cage's performance is very much like what the Academy look for. In yeah. that, like, it's, it's against type. It is, Real life. It, yeah, Real and life it, and against type. It is it is a um, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. It is it is it's that it's the it's somebody who has been typecast for so long, all of a sudden delivers something that is wow. This is yeah. a breath of fresh air, and that is exactly what this film is. Despite how downbeat and depressing like the subject matter of this film is, like the performances, the moments of like pure beauty and reflection in like the people and the relationships with people make this a really enjoyable film like this is something i will like return to time and time mm -hmm. again like i yeah i'm a sucker for that kind of that that kind of oddball relationship especially like a kind of fraternal like son relationship where yeah like I mentioned before, whether it's Peanut Butter Falcon, like that was one of my That's films. Such of, a good movie. Of last such year. a good movie. Because it's just that kind of, it's got those moments of levity. It's got those, like, and you see those real moments of beauty in 
ca- like just characters enjoying themselves in a real way, in a really real way. Like as we discussed, that that it makes you cool it makes face. you feel. It makes you feel throughout the entire thing. But but unlike a lot of movies where the the feelings that you get feel manufactured, this all feels natural. It all feels like this is exactly how it would play out. You know, it's not like, oh, some weird circumstance drives them to this point, and then another circumstance drives them to this point. I feel like something like this has probably really happened, you know, many times over in these these small kind of forgotten American towns. It's just, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, you're saying about a lot of films, like, kind of tell you how to feel, and, like, right. a lot of the times that is, like, done through music, and the score to this movie is another like stroke of like brilliance in that it's just moody and brooding kind of sits in the background and like doesn't doesn't tell you how to feel it's just there it's just almost like i don't know it's just kind of like industrial low hum of like it's and again these guys i I looked them up it's uh jeff mcirwin and david wingo only got this and uh, Snow Angels to their credits as composers. So, like, I'm assume I'm only assuming. Like, I don't know this, but probably friends of David Gordon Green. Sure. I'm up there with the scores of Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, like with The Road or. Um, Oh, oh what, the road is so good. What what's the what's the movie with um oh, uh bank robberies, Chris Pine? Oh, you're talking about Hell or High Water? Hell or High Water. Yes. That's the movie. The score yes. to that is fantastic. And this is very reminiscent of that. It's just kind of sits there and like just washes over you. Very much like this film does. It kind of it, it sits perfectly together in that, like you can just let this film happen, and you almost feel guilty that you're like you feel like you're peeking into like seeing things that you shouldn't be looking seeing. behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like it's not done in like in other films. You don't feel as guilty because it's not it's not so much it, it's it you can see the artifice of it whereas this like and it's a real testament to cage as well because for someone who's known for this kind of real big showman like nouveau shamanic style that he's dubbed himself of just almost being like a, a vaudeville performer and like do you know what I mean he acts like and i mean that with a capital a like yeah. Nick Cage acts, whereas this, like, it's very, it's all, it's all lowercase. It's all very like subtle. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's lowercase. It's italics. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 just kind of like sitting there. It's easy breezy, and it's just ah, I cannot. I, I definitely. Well, this leads me to my last thing. It, like before, yeah. Before we start to wrap things up, Joe, is would you recommend this movie? I, like 100%. 100%. And after hearing you mention Hell or High Water, they're they're different in so many ways, but they're not. I mean, Chris Pine is kind of playing that father figure to Ben Foster throughout the entirety of the thing. But this movie, what I took away from it after you brought that up, because I love Hell or High Water. That movie is just it, it's unbelievably good. They made me feel the same way. Like, I felt those same sort of real emotions and it's you know sometimes like you said the the movie kind of pushes you like hey you should feel this or you should feel that you get these big swooping like dramatic scores that come up through the back whereas both hell or high water and this and in the same way in hell or high water the violence is not glamorized at all like when ben foster gets shot that's it like you know you got you got him up there and he's got the he's got the beat on him and he takes him down but that's it there's no big nothing and it's the same with joe and they make you feel that same sort of way. This is what, and maybe I'm going out a little bit on a limb here, but this is what true storytelling looks like with a movie. If you're truly telling a story, this isn't watching a fucking funeral of Iron Man and nothing against Endgame. But, you know, that was all very big. You see all the sad faces. 
like, oh, I should feel terrible about that. This is like showing me the human condition in a way that we rarely get to see on the screen, like digging deep into what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a human being in a tough place. And do I recommend this? I recommend you immediately watch this movie. I mean, go find it. It's, it's dirt cheap everywhere. You can find it all over. You can probably find it on the internet. It's, it's just watch it. If you really like movies, this is one. Do not sleep on this movie. I was talking to a friend of mine about it earlier. I said, hey, I'm getting ready to record with Petros. We were kind of chatting back and forth. He's like, that's awesome. I said, yeah, we're, uh, we're doing this movie, Joe. And he's like, I never heard of it. And I feel like that's a lot of people. If you bring up this movie, I've never heard of it, never heard of it, never heard of it. And that's sad because I feel it's one of Nicolas Cage's absolute best performances he's ever done. Well, so yeah, yes, so, watch it. It's a really weird one. Even like Googling Joe, like movie, it will bring up G.I. Joe before it will bring up this. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like everything's stacked against it, but it is, it's just this sleeper like hit. And it's, it's kind of shown in the, the like scores that it got so like the audience score for this on rotten tomatoes is 68 percent whereas like the critical score is 85 which is like that's pretty good yeah that's good that's up there this like this is and i like i hate to say it but like i think a lot of people wouldn't have watched this movie because of nick cage's name right and I think you're right. You know, you, you, and it's, it's sad. Some of it is, is a, a beast of his own making. You know, he's done a lot of crazy movies that are not very good. If we're, if we're being honest, he's done a lot of things that just, that just don't, don't do it for a lot of people. So you see his name on something and it's like, well, do I really want to take the time? This, I mean, that could be the reason I passed over this so many times. I don't know. You know, when I'm going through, I got to be in the mood for Nick Cage most of the time because I know I'm getting into some crazy shit unless it was something like Mandy that I was so excited for. Day one, as soon as it dropped, I bought that movie. I watched it. Fucking mind fuck of a movie. Absolutely loved it. It was great. And that was Nick Cage. I, I feel like he just, phenomenal job in that movie. But for all the other ones, like you said, Left Behind, USS Indianapolis, all of this weird shit. And there was a, a stretch there where on, on our show, we do this you know upcoming movie segment there was a stretch there where I feel there was a new Nick Cage movie every two weeks for maybe two months. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There was always something just dropping, 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 video on demand, video on demand, video on demand. And, and people like that they could put Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage next to his name because that, that does do some things. But you're right. That could be a reason that some people pass this over. And I hope that just doing this episode of the show encourages some people to watch it and then word of mouth will continue to spread. I will tell people to watch this movie from here on out. Like, hey, oh, you like Blue Ruin? You like Winter's Bone, Out of the Furnace, Hell or High Water? You need to watch this movie, Joe. Get on it. Like, it's it's there. Everything you want is there. Well, all those movies you just mentioned are very, like, this is they're, they're very high-watermark movies, and that's, like, a good, a good grouping to be in. And, like, I'm so glad that this, like, experience of watching all the Nick Cage movies has brought me to a film like this because irregardless of nick cage himself this is a great movie like yeah and i think he himself brings brings something to it and he has said himself in interviews that like his performance as joe is naked and that this is the closest to him and he felt like he didn't have to act (sighs) that's fucking awesome and you know what? In a lot of ways, I could believe that because he's a man we've seen over the years. I mean, struggle with his own demons. We, we've seen it. And, you know, sadly, that's what celebrities have to go through a lot of the time is your whole personal life is, is exposed for the world to evaluate and criticize. And we've seen Nick Cage out in public, fucking hammered, drunk, doing this or that. And in a lot of ways, I believe that statement. I don't think he made that statement just to help promote the movie and and get it out there because to your point again he had other offers on the table but decided to go to this one it makes you wonder you know if he read this script and was like damn i'm in like i i feel almost almost like a rite of passage like i need to do this for therapeutically i wonder if in a way it was it was healthy for him to to take on this role because 
man, it's a fucking, I can't say it enough, but watch this movie. It is, it's fantastic. Amazing, Joe. Well, before I let you go, you obviously host those movie guys. Um, where can we find you guys? And what have, what are you guys up to at the moment? Obviously, you normally tackle the, the, the box office, what's coming out, what's like coming up. And that has kind of grinded to a halt at the moment, which like yeah. is, is leaving me scared because at some points, Nick Cage was releasing like six to seven, eight movies a year. And now it feels like I'm, I'm going to get to the end of this year and be like, oh, I've completed this podcast. <laughs> I'm done. How, how are you guys faring in the coronavirus, COVID-19 struggles? And yeah, what have you got? What are you guys doing? And what have you guys got coming up on those movie guys? Yeah, it's um, if you want to if you want to listen to our show, we are we've been doing this for close to five years now. I think we're coming up on episode like 233 somewhere right in there. Um, we're two guys who just love movies, always have. I, I tell people all the time, Phil and I were doing the show for 10 years before we got microphones because we would just we would chat. We would just get together and chat about movies and things like that. But what we've done to switch up the show that's been kind of fun is taking the box office and done historical box offices going back like five years at a time, which has been kind of cool doing it that way. We usually discuss industry news, things that's going on throughout the industry, which has been, I mean, just grinded <laughs> right down to a fucking standstill. Um, but doing that stuff, the big need of our show, though, is us talking to each other about the stuff that we've been watching. And then we always choose a classic pick of the week. And the classic picks, they don't necessarily have to be a traditional classic, how some people might think of a classic. We look for movies that we feel uh, for one reason or another, everybody should see. And then we talk about that. And we used to do the upcoming movies. You know, what do we want to see? What are, what is, what are we going to do? And we've now switched that up. Phil actually changed it up last week to now we're doing, we're picking five, anybody in the industry, five different people and a movie we would like to watch with them and why we would like to watch that with them. So, for instance, you know, I pick, well, I'm not going to say what I did this week, but uh, like last week, I want to say I had like Martin Scorsese on the list, then a Quentin Tarantino. And then you think about, you know, a movie you'd like to watch with them. But really, we're just two fucking idiots who, who enjoy talking about movies. And, and a lot of people tell us they have some chuckles along the way. Uh, it's a good time. We're very, very old friends. Um, and we've just, yeah, been doing it for a long time. If you want to check it out. Uh, any podcast app, any podcast platform, those movie guys podcast and on all the social medias, it's at those movie guys podcast. Well, I'm one of those people who gets many chuckles out of your podcast. I am a, <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm an, I'm an avid listener every week, whether you know it or not, I'm, I'm there tuning in more times than not just to, just to hear if I mentioned, but that, that's, that's by the <laughs> by, uh, and, you may uh, have uh, been mentioned on our show more than any other person has been mentioned. <laughs> Um, and, and for multiple reasons for, for one, cause what shit we've known each other now for, it's gotta been a couple, two, three years. Yeah. Three years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Close to that. Um, we've done each other's shows in the past. When you first started this thing, Phil and I, um, each did an episode of your show. You came onto our show, did an episode with us. And I think you said you're going to have Phil on again, possibly doing this again. Well, yeah, I, I've had him. I've had him on already. Oh, for, got it. Okay. For, for yeah, for justice or seeking justice, depending on where you're listening to this, because yeah, it's one of those movies, like a, like a few Nicolas Cage movies. I I never know what to title the episode because in different territories, it's got a different name. <laughs> right. This one could just be two Joes and a Petros. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> two Joes, one Petros. Um, but yeah, uh, we've known each other a long time and we do mention you a lot, but, and, and, you know, this, this, I, I appreciate you letting me come on the show. I always love the opportunity to sit and chat with you, but what you're doing is super unique and it's just so different, man. I remember when I first read, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like he's doing what he's going through every Nicolas Cage movie. And then we became friends over the years and here we are today sitting down recording again. So if you want to check out our show, check it out. You'll hear us talking about Petros. We, we bring him up a lot. <laughs> perfect. Well, that feels like a perfect moment to leave it because my ego is at an all-time high, Joe. <laughs> so it's been an absolute pleasure talking this movie with you, and thank you so much for picking it. Thank you, man. Thank you. And take care.
there we go. I'm sure you would agree with me when I say that Joe was a fantastic guest and he had so much insights into that movie and is very much a Nicolas Cage fan and an amazing talker in general. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast as always and it will be a sad loss to see him leave the podcasting world. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of those movie guys and I would... I would uh, really recommend you guys check them out whilst you can and just go back through their catalogue. It, it, it's up to date with movies and stuff like that, but it's more about the relationship between those two guys. And uh, Their back and forth is second to none. Um, as is what's coming up on Caged In, well, the next two weeks we'll be taking a little break from covering Cage and I'll be releasing some interviews. Uh, as of yet, what they are, well, keep your eyes on the social medias, which are all at Caged In Podcast, and that's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find all of those. Uh, I've got a few in the back catalogue, and they are fun, interesting, and informative, and I think you'll very much enjoy them. One of them I'm recording next week as well, and yeah, I really, really want to get that one out nice and quickly for you guys. So, uh, as always, if you have any opposing views to mine and Joe's regarding the movie Joe, please don't hesitate to get in touch, as I've mentioned before. All of the social medias, or if you want to go a bit more long form and really hash it out with me, you can always hit me on email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. You can chuck some money over on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash cagedinpod. But instead of doing that, as I keep saying, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't a black square for one day and it's over. Uh, please donate money to uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, whether that's um, kind of bail funds or... Um, yeah like just just signing petitions just do what you can as well and um all money that i get through patreon uh will go back into the show uh probably should announce now that i have some art prints on their way which you can find on my social media and they are to celebrate the um unrealized nicholas cage superman movie the timber and superman lives that never came out and yeah they will be going up for sale as soon as they are in from the printers and that is just uh, a bit of fun something i want to give back and all of them will come with a uh, signed numbered and a unique nicholas cage quote to all hundred of those prints as well as some other little goodies that i'll chuck in just little fun things whether it's uh, business cards or stickers just any little bit of fun so enough with all of that as always i've been petros pat syllabus I have been caged in. You have been amazing. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next time. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast. Caged in Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network, it's family. <laughs>